The American Society of Pharmacovigilance presents Real Talk with Rachel, Conversations with Patient Advocates. In today's episode, Rachel Brummert, the president of Patient Safety Impact, is joined by Kim Witsack, the founder and executive director of Woody Matters. Hello, and welcome to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Brummert. Today, our guest is Kim Witsack, an international drug safety advocate and public speaker. She became involved in medication safety after the sudden death of her husband, Woody, in 2003 due to an adverse reaction to Zoloft. Kim, welcome to Real Talk with Rachel. It's good to have you. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, You are the co-founder of Woody Matters. Tell us about your organization and why it's so personal to you. Sure. Uh, Well, I started Woody Matters in 2003 after the sudden death of my husband due to Zoloft-induced suicide. And it was a place, and his name was Woody, and so it's really personal because it has that, but it really was a place, the website was set up to be a source of information because at this time there were no black box warnings on um, the antidepressants, and that became the mission of you know what took place after Woody's death, and that was we need to get black box warnings put on these antidepressants. And so Woody Matters today, I've been doing this work for 18 years. Woody Matters represents the unsuspecting public um, of, with those who have been harmed and live every day with the consequences of a failed drug safety system. You know, we were all blindsided and no family should ever be blindsided by things um, that are happening in the medical field that we are not aware because we live with the everyday consequences of it. So that's really what the basis of Woody Matters is. I go out, I speak to try to educate people and that's not only people, the everyday person, but also our healthcare providers and doing podcasts such as this and um, opportunities because I think safety is key um, to our health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And you're about accountability in your work. You filed a lawsuit against Pfizer, uh, the makers of Zoloft, claiming that Pfizer knew about the adverse reactions and failed to warn doctors and consumers and also call them out on their aggressive marketing tactics. So, um, you know, we know that the United States and New Zealand are the only two countries on the planet that has direct-to-consumer advertising. Can you kind of talk a little bit about direct-to-consumer advertising? Sure. Well, ironically, I find it um, interesting that I have spent my entire life and my career in advertising. So I have a background in advertising well before I got into this advocacy work. So I have a different insight into how advertising works. And I was shocked, I, although I've never personally with any of the agencies I've worked on have ever done anything with pharmaceutical ads. But I was shocked that um, there's only two countries that allow drug ads, and that is the U.S. and um, New Zealand, as you mentioned. And so the thing about um, with the drug to, direct-to-consumer advertising, we're out there promoting drugs. It's all about drugs. It's as if it's like, you know, Coke or Pepsi or BMW versus Ford, etc. These are real um, serious, and they're always trying to drive you to the doctor. And of course, it's not, it's all about the benefits and it's, you know, the pretty pictures. And then uh, as soon as you get into um, the side of that now have to be read. It is 
like a distraction. And there's so many that are read so quickly and fast that nobody really pays attention to it anymore. They just kind of tune it out. But don't be fooled that direct-to-consumer advertising is big business. And it even starts before the actual drug itself, the brand drug, they will start um, disease awareness campaigns. And a disease awareness campaign is where they start to promote a disease um, that eventually, whenever you see one of these on TV, that you know that there's a drug that will be coming out shortly. So it's this, and um, drug companies are marketers. Let's not fool it. We spend 95% on marketing, 5% on research. So they are marketers and they hire some of the best MBA people out there to know. And it's interesting. In lawsuits, one of the first places that the lawyers will go is they want to see marketing documents. So it really does um, have a huge impact on what happens to us. It's all about marketing and selling, selling, selling. Yeah, and they're very deceiving too. You know, as you said, they they sort of speak what the side effects are, and those are those are negotiated by the FDA and the uh, pharmaceutical industry. So when you look at one of the drug ads, you know, going through the side effects, but, you know, the picture on the screen is this happy family and they're doing things and they're um, so that, you know, the contrast always kind of struck me. But I don't think that the consumers understand that they do that for a reason. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the goals, I mean, in advertising is it's. It is about selling. It's about creating hope. It's selling hope. It's creating this illusion, and you want to be people are you want to be happy, right? Or they want to they see the happy family. They see they see that person you know that starts out like really down and depressed, and then like they get this new pill, and now they're like walking through and they're happy. Well, that is a lot of selling hope, and we know that with that, there's an entire other side of. Um, the drugs that don't really get talked about, although they're quickly talked about because by law they have to, right? Um, mm-hmm. They have to be mentioned, the side effects. And usually some of those side effects are, are the most, um, the ones that have been negotiated. But then there are things that eventually, as millions of people, so sometimes what I have come to realize now that I sit on um, the FDA as a consumer rep on the Psychopharm Pharmacologic Drugs Advisory Committee. A lot of the drugs that come on our market um, are being are coming to market are under a really fast tracking mechanism. So there aren't the it may not be studied on a lot of people, right? And what happens is now you throw in advertising, and it's being like now you're putting millions of people out there and into this pool. So those side effects that maybe were in even in that ad that maybe don't seem like, you know, they're always like diarrhea, you know, night sweats, mm-hmm. you know, things that you're like like you can almost like mimic them off. But mm-hmm. those are the ones that we should really be care- caring about. We should care about the ones that we don't know yet or those that have not been told to the public. Um, you know, like the fact with the antidepressants. At the time of Woody's death, uh, you know, he, first of all, he didn't get this drug for depression. He got it for insomnia, for off-label by his GP with samples. And so at that time, the drug ads that were on there were like a cute little bouncing ball, didn't say anything about suicide or the risk of suicide, anything. So it wasn't until, I mean, those drugs came out in like, you know, I know the FDA held hearings in 1991 on antidepressants and suicide when it was just Prozac on the market. 
fast forward, now we have all these new antidepressants on the market. And we fi finally, Woody died in 2003, and we, um, it was in 2004 that black box warnings got put on it. Now, that is a very different, that was not on any of the ads. And so that is why it is really important that um, we pay attention to harms and think about it's bigger than just quickly getting a drug on the market. It's what happens when millions of people take it. Because even it, it may not even be something, you know, um, that was done in, you know, it might have just happened because millions of people now are taking it, right? And sometimes, you know, like, with the antidepressants, there was failure to warn because the suicide risk was seen in the initial trials. So, you know, it all depends. Some, some harms are known by the companies and haven't been made known to the public yet, and others get discovered. And I think we need to really focus and, and care about all of it, all of it. Yeah, you and I are both consumer reps at the FDA. Um, when we prepare for a hearing, we're giving clinical trial results. And something that I always bring up, and I think you do too, um, is that, you know, a lot, a lot of the adverse events that are being reported are underreported. So we're working with data that is kind of unknown at this point because people don't know that they can report their side effects. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that's one of the things that I didn't know. And now it's really important that people do know that if they are having side effects. Um, there's a whole system at the FDA called MedWatch. And even if it's, you can report it yourself as a patient, but it also should be reported to your doctor and they by law should be reporting it to the FDA. I'm not sure it does, it happens. Now, unfortunately it's voluntary. Um, one of the pushes that I try to make is making it mandatory because then we're gonna be working with actual real numbers with real consequences. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, what do they say? Like anywhere from three to eight to 10% of all side effects ever get reported. And that's really from the beginning. I remember um, when we reported what happened to Woody, obviously it wasn't what I found out that he wasn't an isolated in, um, person situation that this happened to. But when we went to the FDA and I was very instrumental in helping getting those black box warnings. But when we went there, we were told by the FDA that, oh, you're an anecdote. Mm -hmm. It's just anecdotal, anecdotal. I was like, okay, if, that is, if that's how you want to just see it, like I just remember going anecdotal, well then all of these are anecdotes and aren't anecdotes data points, but it should serve as a signal. So mm -hmm. yes, it may not have happened in the double-blinded placebo-controlled study, although there's, that's becoming less and less a gold standard, but it may not have happened there. But if people start reporting, that should serve as a signal that we want to learn more about. Is it, is it related? But what happens is it gets quickly dismissed as like, oh, you know, that's the patient or that was something. And nobody wants to actually link it back to, could it be? And... Mm -hmm. Could it be related to the drug that this person got? Um, so Woody was experiencing a lot of um, symptoms leading up to his suicide. He was balled up on the floor and he was crying for help. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So Woody um, was given the drug, like I said, for insomnia. And 
he got a three-week sample pack. I happened to be out of the country the first three weeks he was on the drug. So I didn't see him slowly, you know, deteriorating. But it was to help him sleep, right? So I get back into the country, and um, I was excited to have him home for, like, we're having dinner. But I'll never forget, he walked in the back door in his blue dress shirt, completely sweat through, dropped his bag, um, fell on the floor in a fetal position. He's like, Kim, you got to help me. I don't know what's happening to me. He's like, my head's outside my body looking. Kim, Kim, help me. And he's crying. And I remember going, uh, I've never seen that. We've been married for 10 years. I've never, had never experienced anything like that. Calmed him down. And, you know, I was like, let's pray. Let's breathe. Let's do yoga. Like anything to calm him down. He called his doctor. And the doctor said, you have to give it four to six weeks for the drug to kick in. And Woody lasted one more week. And every night that week between that episode that happened and his death, he came home and wanted to figure out ways that he could beat this feeling in his head. And he's thinking it's himself. And, and I remember like telling him to quit his job, his new job that he had just started. Like, I didn't know what was going on. And the doctor should have, you know, I mean, but that's what at the time, that's what the drug company was telling the doctors. It takes four to six weeks for these drugs to kick in. Instead, when Woody was having that experience, um, we should have, he should have been taken off that drug. And that should have been thought, could this be the drug that is causing this? And, you know, years later, um, I hear from a lot of people who had the same similar kind of uh, impact, you know, effect. And it's um, a side effect called akathisia, which a lot of GPs to this day don't even understand and know that um, because, and I'll tell you that story in a second. But, um, but when people, like, when we had, no, we had no hope, like, in that situation because we trusted our doctor, right? And if they don't know and they didn't even say, well, maybe it's the drug, would it just kept staying on it? And I certainly would never have left to go out of town for work again when this was all happening if I knew that Woody was at that brink of taking his own life. I remember um, you and I met at a consumer reports conference um, and I was having what I think was a, an akathisia kind of reaction. Um, and you noticed that in me, you followed me into the elevator to ask if I was okay. So is that something that came about um, you know, because of your experiences, you recognize that in other people. Yeah. You know what? I will never forget that, um, Rachel, that day. It was pretty profound for me mm -hmm. uh, because I noticed something. And I think you were actually having um, an akathisia. You were out of your body and you were, had this like feeling and you were like moving and you started crying and you were, and I remember I'm hyper aware of that now. And I'm, I tell this to people all the time. When somebody starts or gets um, starts, change medication changes. You go off. You got to be really careful um, for and and watch these adverse or potential adverse events. Some people never have them, but you know I noticed something, and there was something that I could just see in your eyes, and I will forever be touched, and will never forget that moment in the elevator. Yeah, I mean me neither. I did, I couldn't let you follow me in the elevator. You just I'm not letting you because I I saw like there was something. I'm like no way. I'm gonna go and figure out. And I didn't know. It was just like an in, in a gut instinct, intuition um, in my intuition that something is something's going on with her. And so I'm mm -hmm. so glad I did because that's also me too. Friends and gotten to know each other. So yeah. 
Um, I forget what I was going to say after that. Um, and there's a there's a lot of people that you work with. Um, you know, Wendy Dolan is one of them who um, you know does a lot of work with akathisia. How common is it with these psychiatric drugs? Well, I think it's a lot more common than we're led to believe. And it's, you know, they say like three to 5% of people might experience an akathisia, which akathisia is this inner restlessness, um, head outside the body, constantly moving. You just want to get this thing out of you. You want to scratch, like people will scratch because um, they want to get it out. And um, interestingly, you know, during my lawsuit, we were able to get a bunch of documents out from under seal. And there was a... Um, there was a, an article that the chief medical officer for Zoloft wrote talking about akathisia. And it was in some public journal. So that, I mean, that was fine. But mm-hmm. it, if a patient um, gets akathisia, quote unquote, death could be a welcome result. Now, what they did is they took that article, that journal article, and sent it in an email to all their salespeople said that the um, the attached journal article is not suitable for general practitioners, but may be, um, you know, the neurologically inclined psychiatrist may have interest. And I was like, wait, 70 to 80% of your business is um, is through GPs. And I'm pretty sure that you would want to tell your GPs that if a patient De- developed something called akathisia, it may be the drug and you may want to check in with them and make sure and check and have a system in place at your clinic. And it could even be, you know, like um, pharmacists, any kind of point of uh, contact where you have with a patient, we should constantly be, remi- you know, rem- just bringing it up. So you have it, ch- like if you notice something's not right, you can have a chance to do something. So, yeah, that was the mission. When I met, unfortunately, when I met Wendy Dolan, her husband um, started a, a new Prozac, or I think it was Paxil, generic Paxil, but he jumped in front of a moving train in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I remember when yeah. she came up here, it was horrible. But I had already lived it eight years earlier, right? And um, I said to her, if I were you, If I was to do, because she was like, I want to do an organization. I said, if it were me, I would do akathisia. Nobody, make it a household word. Make it so that like our doctors know about it Um, and that they take it seriously. Because again, not everybody will ever even experience it. But those who do, it could be the um, difference between life and death. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to circle back to something you mentioned earlier. You said that you had a big role in getting black box warnings on these drugs. Can you tell our viewers what black box warnings are? Sure. Um, yes, I did have a big role in getting, because at the time there were no black box warnings on antidepressants. And antidepressant or black box warnings are the most stringent of warnings um, that the FDA will put, they decide gets put on um, a drug or a device or medical treatment. And it alerts the public. It's actually the thing if you were to read your insert um, at the pharmacist or if you look at any of the print ads, if there is a black box warning, it's literally in a black box, in bold, at the top of um, the top of the pamphlet or information. And it alerts you, the consumer, and the healthcare providers that there is a serious or um, potential for death in this product and to read this warning. 
Um, so it's it's a very important thing. Um, and you know, like I was saying, a lot of the drugs that come on the market right now that come on fast don't necessarily have it on the market. You know. It, right away because it's something that might be discovered down the down the path but at some point um, when there are black box warnings it's really important that our providers are aware of it but the consumers also ask does this drug have a black box warning because I think then it creates an opportunity for a conversation mm-hmm. but you know a lot of people don't think about it I know I never did no, I know me neither you know, we, I didn't know what, I didn't know what a black box warning was. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, did what most people do, which is trust. I trust my doctor. And then the doctor trusts that the FDA has done their work. Mm-hmm. Find out like the whole system is built on trust. Yeah. You know, and faith in the system. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to be more empowered to ask questions. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think that's part of the messaging that you and I do is that, um, you know, we need FDA to be a little bit better about communicating about black box warnings to the consumers. Because if even doctors don't know to look for um, black box warnings or to talk about it, neither does the patient. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that could be improved somehow from the FDA about communicating those? Absolutely. I feel that in general, there's a lot of things that could be done better um, mm-hmm. at the FDA with communicating with the public. Because, you know, I think a lot of times they, it goes to the healthcare providers, like, you know, alert might go out saying, hey, this drug got put on a black box warning or something, or this does. But I think there's a whole opportunity for education around what is a black box warning? Why does it matter? And so I think there is opportunity, like, you know, and I think things that you're doing are really important. But I think also it starts at the FDA because it sends a message to the public that this is important, that we think it's important. But it seems like black box warnings just kind of get put on without much attention. The media doesn't pay much attention. I don't think people really do know enough. And I think it's a that right there is a big source of something that could potentially save your life or your loved one's life. If you just know. I mean, it's not about, it's not saying don't take it. It's all about being informed. Informed consent, yeah. And when you're informed, you're a better patient, you're a better physician, you're a better provider. Mm -hmm. We all win when we are informed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I found it shocking thinking back in the day with, you know, before they put this black box warning, I was shocked, you know, didn't realize after 91 that they didn't do anything about it. Right. And it took, I'm like, why wouldn't you want to warn people? Like, I will never understand. Why wouldn't you want to warn people? It is just information. Otherwise it's left to you guys deciding what is important for us consumers and patients. So it's really important. I think it's a big question. It caught it to ask your doctors or even at the pharmacist level, if you don't have an opportunity, I think your, our pharmacists are another huge opportunity to um, help educate as well. Now your work with Woody Matters, um, you know, you've turned pain into purpose. What are some of the lessons that you've learned after all this happened with Woody and your, your journey with medication safety? 
Yes, I like to call myself the accidental advocate because I would never have chose this field of work. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of things I learned uh, just starting at the doctor's office too, right? Being empowered to ask questions. You know, when we all, you know, sample, there's so many lessons in Woody's death. Samples, off-label. I didn't know what off-label meant, off-label, that this drug was given to him as off-label. So there's another question. Um, um, that don't be afraid to speak and tell your truth and push, you know, if something is happening or something doesn't seem right, you know, I want to encourage people to like be bold and be able to tell their providers. And if they don't believe them, then maybe that's not the right place to be because I don't understand how we can't listen to each other and be willing to say, um, what if, Ask the question, be curious, what if? And I say that to consumers, patients, and doctors. Let's be open to that question and be curious, what if? Just what if this drug had something to do with it? Or maybe it doesn't, but it's about being curious and asking questions. And I also feel like, um, just on a personal level, you know, um, sometimes our greatest purposes in life choose us and this one chose me and I've been doing it for 18 years and what I thought was my simple initial mission of getting black box warnings on the antidepressant and I thought it was just isolated I realized it was so much bigger it's the whole drug safety system that is built in our country and you know, I've been doing it for 18 years and do all sorts of different um, drugs. It's bigger than antidepressants. You know, I'm now working on vaccines. with, And so it's just all about transparency and having information. And because at the end of the day, no family should ever have to ask after the fact, how come we didn't know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, where can our viewers find Woody Matters online? Well, yeah, I'm on um, woodymatters.com. You can also go to my website, kimwitzak.com, and learn more about other um, efforts that I'm doing in addition to Woody Matters, um, Selling Sickness, which is another initiative. Uh, Twitter and Facebook, although I have to get better at posting. <laughs> but and, and I feel like we need to be where the people are, and I need to start listing. I know because I'm at, I've been spent my entire career in advertising. I know I need to be where people are. So I have. To, um, and Rachel, you're great at doing it because you're. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you, Kim Witzak, my my friend and fellow patient uh, advocate. Uh, we will see you next time on Real Talk with Rachel. Great. Thank you so much. For more information about Woody Matters, please visit woodymatters.com. To find out more about upcoming events, follow ASP on Twitter at amsocietyfarm or visit www.stopadr.org backslash events.